Welcome to the Veterans Club Podcast, a production where veterans and community meet and thrive. We talk with veterans about their life and military service and to veterans organizations about their community service efforts. We've joined forces with the Baby Boomers Radio Network to help increase the reach of veterans and their heart for service. With your help sharing these episodes, we can reach more people and change more lives. Thank you for tuning in. And thank you to our veterans for their service to country and community. It's spaghetti time. You ready for a great spaghetti dinner? The American Legion Post 14 in CDA, Idaho, is hosting a spaghetti feast on October 1st, 2022 at 4 p.m. Location is the CDA Mountain Lakes Bible Church located at 2215 North 7th Street. Come join the crowd for a spaghetti feed specifically for the veteran community in CDA. Families and guests of veterans are welcome. Mark your calendar, October 2nd. 10 a.m. for the Idaho Chapter Farmer Veterans Coalition. They're actively seeking veterans who are eager to learn farming of any style, gardening, woodworking, etc. No land required. They're blessed to have Idaho's oldest tree farm there in Idaho, family owned for 102 years and first tree farm in Idaho's Centennial Farms. Please go to farmvetco.org to watch some videos for this organization. Get started on October 2nd at 10 a.m. Lancaster Creek Farms, 18215 North Tree Farm Lane, Hayden, Idaho, 83835. Mark your calendar Thursday, October 13th, 2022 from 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. for the Veterans Virtual Job Fair. For veterans who are looking for work, this virtual event includes a free virtual job fair in Spokane Valley, Washington on October 13, 2022, including hiring managers from local and national organizations on the hunt for top talent like you. As a job seeker, all you have to do is sign up, show up, and chat with key decision makers and get hired. The HireX virtual job fair allows you to interview virtually with employers through video, audio, and or text chat. Five days prior to the job fair, you will receive an email to view registered companies and available jobs. To save time, you can schedule an interview in advance and skip the line to speak with a hiring manager. Once the job fair begins, you will have three hours to speak with employers in attendance. Visit hireex.us slash jobfairs slash Washington slash Spokane Valley for more information. Welcome to the Veterans Club. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in and sharing these episodes. You know, the simple act of forwarding one of these episodes to a friend, a fellow veteran, it can help them reconnect to the to the fun times, to the positive times, to to the proud times of when they were in the service. It, it also gives us an opportunity to widen the audience, and then all of those announcements that the community organizations make on this program, it reaches more veterans. You know, one of the challenges that we have as a community is communicating with all of the veterans. Now, in Idaho, there's 118,000 veterans. There's 18.5 million veterans nationwide. 
there's no VA program for all of the veterans to communicate with one another. I'm trying to address that with the Veterans Club. So having veterans come in and talk about their military service, this is a way for you to, well, reminisce a little bit about what it meant to be in the military and then think about that impact that your military service had on the rest of your life. Now with me in studio today, I have a dear friend of mine, Pat. Pat, thank you so much for coming in studio and talking with us today. Oh, it's my honor. Thanks, Ed. So let's talk first a little bit about what branch of service did you serve in and and what years did you serve? So I proudly served in the U.S. Air Force and then I served in the Maryland Air National Guard. So I was in the Air Force from 1968 to 1970 and then a few years later joined the Maryland Air National Guard. And, And why did you choose those that branch? Well, my dad had been a member of the Army Air Corps. He was a B-17 pilot, and he and his six brothers, his seven sons, were the sons of Polish immigrants, all of whom served in the U.S. military. And my grandparents were very proud of their military service, and my dad and my uncles all proudly spoke of their time in the service. So it seemed natural when I was considering the military that I come from that kind of a background. And and what did you do in the military? I was a medical service specialist, predominantly in the emergency room of hospitals or working in clinics. Now, you know, I remember when I, uh, I tell this story quite frequently, you know, I, I remember when I first shipped off for the Army. That was kind of like my first military experience, and I was excited. I mean, we pulled away from the house. I was in the car with my recruiter, and I knew I wasn't coming home. And, and that was it. I was on my own. Now here I go. That was kind of my first military experience. What was your first military experience? Mine was similar. Um, I went with the recruiter to take the oath, and my parents joined me later when we were ready to leave for basic. And I think the one thing that I remember from that day the most is taking the oath and realizing that I was truly committing myself to my country and to serving and um, to doing something that I otherwise might not have considered as far as um, how much pride. And it's not being prideful, it's being proud to make that decision. So that day was pretty special. You know, it was. And it, it's interesting you bring it up that way. I would have, I think when I was like six or seven Somewhere in that neighborhood, you know, the the aftermath of the Vietnam War was all over the news. And it wasn't a glowing report of military members. And, and I had kind of gotten this media-induced thought in my head uh, that was kind of anti-military. And I, I had popped off once to my mom, oh, I would never serve in the Army. And, oh, my goodness, she laid into me something fierce and it it made kind of an indelible impression on me um but my parents were the type that they they would kind of react for the shock value and then they would explain and and she kind of laid out to me the pride of military service and even at six seven years old i i remember that explanation and it really influenced me later in life it's like I, I think I want that. And I did. I joined and, 
And that's that's where I went. So with your family connection, how was the drive towards the patriotic side of military service? So from my standpoint, uh, you know, kind of leveraging your discussion, I was in college in 1967 in Southern California, and the sentiment toward the U.S. military was poor at best. And many on my campus were um, heavily involved in activities related to the Vietnam War. And I felt strongly that our job is to protect our country. Our job is to respect those that are serving on behalf of our country. Because that's what I had learned, been taught, and knew. And I had cousins, I had friends who at the time were serving in Vietnam or elsewhere in the country and really was trying to grasp what do I do with this? And at the time, you know, the opportunity to continue my education through military service and those kinds of things were also weighing heavily. And in 1968, when I chose to enlist, the, it was the year of the Tet Offensive for the Vietnam War. It was the year that Bobby Kennedy was killed in downtown Los yeah, Angeles. 68 was a tough year. 68 was a very difficult year, and that's the year I chose to enlist because I thought there's a way that I can make sense of this for me and I can make sense of this in terms of providing service. And that's how I chose to do what I did. I recall going home with the, with the recruiter, and my dad was just beaming. I mean, he was very excited. This is what I chose to do. Um, he had envisioned all sorts of things happening with my military service, and my mother cried. I mean, I think it was a, it was a nonstop um, cry. But at the end of it, they both were very supportive, and I'm the oldest of five. And so everyone in my family was very supportive of the decision. And it was interesting. I wasn't looking for their support. I was looking for their knowing that this is what I plan to do with the next few years of my life at a minimum. And it, and it, felt, it felt right. It, didn't feel, it wasn't it felt good, it felt right. And my, my friends at school were very supportive. I was a little surprised by that. Um, my college roommate was very supportive. My other dorm mates were very supportive. So it was, it was a great experience. Wow. That's a fantastic story. Now, uh, so the medical field, how did, you, how did you fall into that field? What was the motivation to go that direction? I didn't. So when I completed basic training, you, had, you selected a couple of fields you thought you might be interested in. Well, I don't know about you, but you know, how many at, at 19, or yeah, 19, you know, I wanted to be everything from a, a French teacher with an English teacher with a French minor to being a forest ranger to doing any number of things. And so when I had to really narrow it down, I don't remember my other two selections, but medical was not my first. And when I completed basic and they said, we're going to send you for additional training, and it was in the medical services field, I thought... I, this is fine. I, it, you know, you, you really don't know. It was, it was probably, I've been in the medical field 
since that moment. I have never left wow medical field in my career from, from never planning it that way i never to, planned it that's what you did the rest of your the life. rest of my life i've been in healthcare. but i think i took six months off and did something else just in the middle of my life while i was moving around but my entire career has been healthcare. so let's think about that that's 50 well we don't years. have to say the real number yeah <laughs> but well you can figure if, if you know when i went into the military but i stayed in healthcare, and so it was absolutely influential for me absolutely influential. I was able to train. I worked in the emergency room. I was able to do things that in civilian life, you just don't do. I mean, it, it really requires different um, credentials. It, they, they trained you really well and they let you do your job. And when I left the military, my senior non-commissioned officer in the emergency room arranged for me to start training as a physician assistant at Hopkins University three days after I got out of the Air Force. So I got out on a Friday, and on Monday I was at Hopkins in a PA training program, which I chose. It wasn't for me, but I stayed at Hopkins for 11 years in um, medical administration, doing some standing up, um, all sorts of things, uh, clinics and hospitals on the Navajo Reservation. I would have never selected that path for myself if it hadn't been for the military. And I think, you know, Ed, when, when we talked about having this conversation, I think that one of the things I would say to anyone is you don't know what your potential is until someone gives you the latitude to choose. And we don't often have the latitude to choose because we're selecting what school we're going to go to and there has to be a path to complete a degree program to do something or to take a position you know, in, a, in a vocation so that you're in that field. This open doors I would have never had open for me. Wow, that's amazing. Because when I went in the military, I knew I was going to be a musician. I auditioned to be a musician in the military before I enlisted. So I, I knew going in, that's what I was going to do in the Army. No, I had to pass the School of Music, which not, was not right. a guarantee. But that's amazing. So you went in with not a clue. No. Was gonna... So now the training that you got in the military for the medical field, what sort of direct connection to the civilian world did you have? Well, the the. Predominant training I've, I first received, and I actually used it in the Maryland Air National Guard as well, was actually clinical work. So I worked in the emergency room. I responded to emergency situations. I, I sutured people. I casted people. I did all sorts of things in emergency settings and continued to do that. But one of the things I found when I became a civilian is, well, I really enjoyed that, and I got so much pleasure out of assisting people at times of crisis. I liked what was going on down the hallway, and there was a, a gentleman who was making sure that our program was funded, making sure that we had the operational support that we needed to have a good physician assistant program. And so on breaks, I would go down and hang out with him. And I would go down and talk about how do you do this and what do you need and what does it take to operate this program? And the more I spoke with him, the more I realized this is what I want to do. I want to support the people who support the people and be in the background and ensure they've got everything that they need 
to deliver care and to be successful and have tools and resources and training and everything that they needed. So I switched over into a healthcare administration career as a result of being exposed after the military to the clinical side of the house. And I've never, I've never wavered from that. Wow. And that's what I've known you as is from the medical administrative side right. the whole time I've known you. Now, uh, this is kind of a loaded question, I would think. Somebody listening thinking, well, that's an obvious question. But but I'm going to ask it because I, I, you know, I think it has direct applicability to a couple of questions down the road. The skills that you acquired in the military, in the medical field, would those skills have been acquired if you didn't have the military when you went into the medical field? And let me explain just a little further. Because, you know, I, I was a musician my whole life. I was a professional musician before the Army. I was a professional musician after the Army. But the time that I was a professional musician in the Army, I learned things about interpersonal relationships, how to, how to work with other people that I never would have gotten without that military experience. The time as a musician before and after didn't have that level of training. So the the three years that I was in the military was invaluable for the rest of my life. Were those skill uh, acquisitions uh, something that were available in your military experience that you feel you wouldn't have been able to get otherwise? I think the one thing, well, there are many things, discipline. So if I peel back the medical training, if I peel back the specific job category and really look at what I gained from the military, first of all, a self-confidence. When you've got leaders who see you as a leader, you feel like a leader. And my leadership treated me like a leader, and, but trained me to be one. And with some hard knocks where you learn how to discipline yourself because you've got to be in a discipline and a discipline field. And so what does that look like? How organized do you have to be? I mean, all the way from I still remember having to make sure that all the things that were in the bottom of my locker in my room we're starting from the tallest to the shortest. And my clothes had to hang at a certain, you know, all, all my blouses and all my skirts and everything else had to hang at a certain level. And But what that taught me was discipline. It wasn't about whether or not that was accurate. It was, do I have the personal investment of discipline to do a job, complete it, be proud of it, and either move on to the next or continue this job? So those attributes and leadership not about leadership is not about me, but it's about the people I was leading. Did they understand what we were doing? Did they understand? And sometimes they didn't have to necessarily understand the why. They needed to understand the mission. And I would never have gotten that before. So as I became, um, as I increased my leadership roles in healthcare to more senior executive leaders, I never forgot that I'm a servant leader that if I'm not listening to people and if they're not understanding the mission, they may not agree with how we're going to get there, but they know what our mission is, that I would have never gotten that anywhere else because it's not, it's not how you learn to work in most fields. They don't, they don't treat 
you like that. Boy, that's such a good perspective on that. It's because you're right. I mean, in, in in the outside world, it's it's all about the results. It's not about the process. Yeah, and the mission. What are we actually trying to do? What yeah. are we? What and and when I talk to people about doing things, even today, and they're distracted by all sorts of other external influences, said so you keep your head down. And you stay focused on the on what the mission is. And the rest of that noise will either be noise that will influence the mission or it'll be noise that will detract you or distract you from the work you're supposed to be doing. So we have to figure out what that noise looks like. But in the meantime, head down, we stay focused on the work and the mission. What was one of your memorable military moments? Oh, I have I have quite a few. Quite a few. I think there were a couple of things when, um, if I may, when Martin Luther King was killed. The military does a great job of ensuring that we see each other, but we don't necessarily um, put people in categories. We're all in the military. And when Martin Luther King died, my entire barracks emptied out into the quad. And, and there were, so I was in obviously the female barracks and the men's barracks, there were, we were four in a quad. So our building and three other buildings, our buildings emptied out and all colors were in the middle of the quad holding hands and supporting those who were so incredibly influenced by what just happened incredibly influenced and it didn't matter it just didn't we were all air force we were all together and if that would have been any situation anywhere in the world we would have come together to support each other and what i still i still can see it starting to form and it wasn't formal we didn't reach out we didn't make announcements people just started filing out of the barracks Totally spontaneous. Totally spontaneous. You know, it, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kind of tattle. We had a conversation prior to the uh, recording, and we talked about an event that Pat and I just mutually did together, a veterans' breakfast. And and Pat, you were sharing me some stories of at your table with the veterans that were there, all from different branches of service. Just how veterans sat down and they just came together. You can talk a little bit about that experience and 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 how that all unfolded just the the commonality of everybody being veterans everybody just came together yeah it was it was so spontaneous as people sat down and started to talk we of course started with what branch of service they were with and what their role was in the military but as we spoke more it wasn't about our past it's about today, who we are today. One gentleman had been uh, a guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And the first thing he said about his military experience was he grew up, immediately grew up, that he had a lot of growing up to do. Um, They each shared their stories, but they were more interested in the number of veterans in this community that they had no idea were in this community and wanting to support them and talking about um, ways in which they could support veterans better and um, the depression experienced by veterans. And, you know, sometimes we think of veterans and we think of our older veterans. 
We have veterans today who just got out of the military last week. They're veterans. And what are their needs? How can we support them? We're having this conversation and we were in their shoes. What what do we do to embrace them today so they don't have to wait 20, 30, 40 years to connect with other veterans, that they know that we're all here for them? And they were sharing stories among, with each other, but they were, each said, today I don't, when I talk to you, I don't feel like a veteran, I feel like your friend. And the other one would say, well, I don't feel like I'm a veteran, I feel like I'm your friend, but we're both veterans and that's our common bond. So it was, a, it was just a phenomenal experience to have them just really, we were all there, as you know, Ed, as facilitators. And although I'm a veteran, I felt my role there was to facilitate a conversation. My facilitation was saying, tell me your name, tell me what branch of service you were in and what did you do? And that's the last thing I had to say. From there on, we went, what, two hours that morning? Oh, yeah. So, yeah. The conversation nonstop. wouldn't end. It was, it was awesome. It was nonstop. We did have some lovely people who want to extend that um, engagement more. So it was just a... It was just a, a great experience, and we were all of different ages, different branches. The, but I think that the most that the most that I got out of it was everyone's concern for veterans in trouble. Yeah, that we really don't we don't know how much trouble some of our veterans are in, um, whether it's financial or. Um, suffering emotional, from depressional, yeah. emotional, right? Yeah. That and many of our veterans are alone. That was the other thing that was striking to me: their perspective on veterans who are home alone. Yeah. And I, I don't think of it that way because that's that's not how I relate as a veteran. But to think about veterans who are home alone and who might not have even known about our breakfast, but they, what their role goal is. As the next time we do something, each one of those veterans wants to invite a veteran they do not know today to our next breakfast. No, oh, that would be fabulous. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about the shared experience and, and the veterans and how we get together and, and, and we're just able to build a kinship naturally. My wife, she, she always marvels whenever we go to the VA and I'm sitting in the waiting room. She says it's an instant conversation amongst everybody in the room and it's it's like you guys have known one another forever and it that is that shared experience if you were advising a niece a nephew a, a grandchild about potential military service what would you tell them well i've actually had the honor and the pleasure of being able to do that especially with my one nephew um, who went into the air force and was an, a mechanic um, and spent time overseas and now as today in training with Southwest Airlines as a pilot. Wow. So, but the conversations with him and another of my nephews and some of our other relatives have been, it's a way to find a way. It's a way to find a way to, um, to access other benefits that you probably aren't aware of in terms of education and other kinds of continuing development and training. It's also seeing the world in, through different eyes because you're kind of insulated and it's a way to see, it, see the world through the lens of other people. And for one of them in particular, uh, he thought he wanted to do uh, to participate in the military and you know we're all we're all proud of the branch that we're in 
And so I really promoted the Air Force because I think that it offered me the exposure that I wanted. But in other cases, I don't care what what branch you choose. Um, it's going to serve you well. And the other thing is, I have some friends I've had since I was in the military. I mean, you make lifelong friends. Right. You do. And so it's just it's just another way to do that. But more importantly, I think by example, by sharing with them my experience and saying, this is how I got where I am. And were it not for the Air Force, I'm not sure I'd be doing what I'm doing today. So just think of it that way. You know, you talk about promoting your branch and I was Army. Um, I I have three grandsons that I had talked to all three of them about military service. And one is serving. He's been 12 years now in the Army as a forward observer. My middle grandson, when I talked to him, I knew Army wasn't right for him. He had some musical inclination. So I was, I was really working on my grandson, Zach, to pick up music and then follow it in the military. But I told him, not the Army not the Air Force. You want to join the Navy because then you're traveling around the world mm-hmm. playing music and, and you get to see a lot more. Rather than just one duty station, now mine was awesome in Frankfurt. I, d- I got to see all of Europe, but that's rare. Um, so, you know, in my case, I was consulting my grandsons that, you know, based upon their personality and what I think that they could get out of it by the opportunity that the military had. So I, I think... I think all kids should consider it. I think many kids should serve personally. That's, you know, I, I do too, because I think that the, um, the, the understanding of what, this sounds really corny, but the understanding of what it means to be an American, what it means to support our constitution, to support and um, defend our country is a conversation. But when you're in the military and you realize every once in a while you have those moments of clarity and say, that's what I'm actually doing. I don't, it's not just a job. That's what I'm actually doing. And as I said, it's a little corny because I'm not sure that everyone in the military um, comes away with that sense, but I certainly, I did. sure did too. I, absolutely. absolutely yeah. So uh, if you had a chance to do it all over again, would you do anything different? Interesting question. I might have, every once in a while, I think, would I have stayed longer? Would I, would I have stayed in longer? And at the time, the number of women in the military was not like it is now. And there were some rules around our continuing participation if we were married, as opposed to our male counterparts. But would I have pushed harder to have stayed in longer? Um, would I have, I wouldn't have changed my career field. I know that. Would I have done anything different? If I'd have done anything different, I wouldn't be sitting with you today in the situation I'm in in my life. And I wouldn't change one day of my life. Good, bad, or indifferent. I wouldn't change one day. So that set me up for where I am today. Wow. Um, Any words of wisdom that you'd like to share with the veterans who are listening today? I think the most important thing from my standpoint is to realize that we've got veterans in trouble, that we have people who are suffering. And it may be 
some of the people who are listening to this. We've got people who don't know how to reach out. And it's not just about reaching out to veteran services that reaching out to the VA, the local VA, or to the veteran services office. But there are many of us out in your community who, given the opportunity, want to be your friend, given the opportunity, want to help or to listen, or given the opportunity, want to have you help us reach out to you and say, can you help us reach out to other veterans in need? And also to realize that we took an oath to um, not just defend our country, but to basically take care of each other. And I would say that of all the things about being a veteran, that's the one thing I would want to impart. Well, Pat, thank you so much for taking time to come on the program, sharing your story with us. And, and thank you for your heart for service and community. And same to you, Ed. Thank you very much for this. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you have enjoyed the episode, please click the subscribe button and get notified when new episodes are published. Please take a moment to share these episodes with a friend. If you'd like to be a guest on the show or have something to share with the community, please email info at theveteransclub.org.